Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. Our guests today are Lisa Branken, Managing Director of Ford in Britain and Ireland, and Kofi Jemfi, Strategic Sourcing Analyst, West Africa for Unilever. Now, in this episode, we'll be exploring supply chain and sustainability. We'll discover how one of our guests, who hails originally from Northern Ireland, has developed in her career to become a leader of one of the UK's biggest car manufacturers. And all the way from Ghana, our other guest will share his passion for ensuring responsible sourcing and the circular economy is at the forefront of his business. So let's get stuck into the conversation. Lisa, Kofi, welcome to The Lens. As we always do at the beginning, we like to find out a little bit about the person behind the job title too. So let's start with a little bit about yourselves. And Lisa, if you don't mind, I'd love to start with you. If you could tell us uh, about yourself and how your career has developed to actually bring you into this role of managing director at Ford, Britain and Ireland. In fact, Lisa... I read somewhere that you're what's called a Ford lifer. You've been there for a long time. That's right, Sarah. So that was never the intention. So I studied in Northern Ireland and when I graduated, I, like many people, headed off to the southeast of England. I got a job thinking that I would work for Ford for a couple of years and I would go on and do something else or I'd go back to Northern Ireland, never sure. And I, I didn't leave. And basically I didn't leave because I got a chance to try different things. Every couple of years, I got to do something different. So before I knew it, I had worked my way through most of the roles in the sales and marketing area within Ford, and I find myself doing this job. It was never a plan. It all just kind of happened out that way, and I've been really, really lucky to have been given lots of fantastic experiences and been trusted to try lots of jobs, and uh, yeah, I've had a really fun time. Brilliant. And we'll find out more about that fun time in just a moment. And if I could turn to you now, Kofi, is it true that you uh, engaged with Unilever through a competition initially? Yeah. So while in school, uh, when I was undergoing my um, university education in University of Ghana, I happened to have um, chanced on a Unilever advertisement um, on um, as, um, a competition and so I, I, I got in and usually the business students who get on some of these corporate competitions but as an engineer I, I was just very curious and so I got on there and my team made it to the national finals. That was the start of my journey into becoming um, a full-time permanent employee for Unilever so that's where it all started. But an engineer initially where did your love of engineering come from? Growing up, I've always been excited about um, DIY, so picking things and making things. And, you know, that's not a glamorous idea of DIY, you might be thinking. Our DIY is a bit different. And so it's about, you know, using cans and using um, scrap material to build something for yourself. And so that's where my interest in engineering came from. Okay, and Lisa, if I could go back to you, um, I don't want to have to start with this question, but it, it, it has to be talked about. You are a woman now at a senior level in a very male-dominated industry. Is that still the case? Or are you still quite unusual? I think that there are different bits of the industry and that have different faces. So I work in the commercial bit of the industry. So I would say that 
half of my leadership team, actually above half of my leadership team are women. And we've got almost 40% of my team are, are, are female. If I look across leadership in the sales and marketing automotive landscape, um, one of the chairperson of our SMNT is a, is a woman that's our industry body. The lead of Stellantis in the UK is a female. So I think with manufacturing, um, manufacturers in automotive in the UK, um, in the sales and marketing functions, a very well representative female body. I think if you step into engineering, so the bit of the business that Kofi's probably more familiar with, less so, although I think we're seeing more and more women come into the business. And then in the UK, the bit of the business that I interface into is a dealer body. And again, still some women in that business, but maybe a bit more of a job to, to do in in. Uh, developing opportunities there. And Kofi, for, for those who aren't familiar with Unilever, Unilever what is it is a consumer Unilever goods company. Does? We make most of the favorite brands that you'd know. So think about Marmite, think about Dove, think about um, um, Sunlight. These are some of the brands that Unilever makes. So we are into fast moving consumer goods and we make all of your favorite brands. And tell us, for each of you, what's a, a typical day in the life, Lisa? I don't think I've actually got a typical day. I generally spend one day a week, generally a Monday in the office. So that's the day of being very um, internally focused in the operation, my team meetings, operational meetings, um, status updates. And then at some point, I will potentially visit some customers, potentially visit dealers out and about in, in, in the uh, in the UK and Ireland and then also I spend a lot of time interfacing with our bigger European organisations so that's based in Cologne and other bits of, of Europe as well so each week is is, is very very different um, and each day is very different so it's very hard to answer that question mm-hmm. lots and lots of variety Also Lisa can you give our listeners an idea of the size and the scope of Ford in the UK um, and also maybe what some of the innovative things that you're working on right now so in the UK, we have about six and a half thousand employees. Those employees are based mostly around sort of two two main areas. One is around product development. So we've got our research and development centre in, in Dunton and some other sites around the UK. We also build almost a million engines in the UK that are exported around the world. We sell between 250,000 and 300,000 vehicles a year in the UK, and we do that through our network of franchise dealers. We have about 100 transit centres. They sell commercial vehicles and just under 300 car sites in the UK. So quite a big and diverse operation in in the UK market. Kofi, then, tell us a little bit about your current role and what it is that you have to do and I suppose what energises you every day to get up and go to work. Currently, um, I mean, my previous role was heavily involved in sustainability. So I was leading our sustainability agenda for West Africa. Um, I did that for a couple of years and I moved into my current role leading strategic sourcing for, for West Africa. And so typically, you know, my day is more around making sure that all of our sourcing strategies are well in place and then working to make sure we are building a lot of resilience into our supply. Um, what really gets me excited about work every day is the opportunity, you know, to, um, to problem solve and to create change no matter how small. And what are the big challenges that you're perhaps facing at the minute, Kofi? 
Oh, I mean, there are a myriad of challenges at the moment. Um, but I mean, what top comes tops of mind is uh, material cost inflation that we are seeing. It's uh, unprecedented. We've never seen that in quite a long time. Also over here in the region, we have we are seeing a lot of currency um, devaluation. And so that's putting a lot of pressure on the business this side. Uh, Lisa, too, um, the automotive the world of cars uh, has transformed and you know, talk to us at the minute about the headaches for you, the challenges if you like and then the opportunities perhaps that you see so actually, you might be surprised, but a lot of our challenges are exactly the same as the challenges that Kofi's outlined. So commodity, the short-term challenges are very much around commodity price increases, inflation, um, and actually currency um, fluctuations because we import and uh, vehicles from around the world to sell in the UK and we report profits in dollars. So currency is a big deal for us. Um Another big challenge and opportunity is the our industry in Europe and in the UK is going through a transition into electrification. So by 2035 in the UK, um, we will be selling uh, 100% electrified vehicles. So that's a great challenge because we're transforming um, the vehicles that we build and sell um, and a great opportunity for us, but also quite difficult because we've got to not just transform the vehicles, but we need an infrastructure that supports it and customers need to understand um, what that means for their businesses. So that there's a, a time of great transformation and great transition that we're looking forward to the end of this decade. You said 2035 there, but you know, that's, that's, that's only a decade away and it's, well, hopefully, if people are listening to this in 10 years' time, they say, yes, of course, we're all driving EVs. But, you know, it's an yes. ambitious target, isn't it? When the infrastructure just isn't there. Um, will it be? Uh, I talked to you a little bit about um, the infrastructure in the UK. One of our um, big infrastructure investments in the UK is um, a manufacturing plant in Halewood that will make electrified power packs to go into vehicles that are made in Europe. And we've got a research and development site that are, is looking at electrified propulsion. So we've committed all of our investment towards that electrification journey because we, we know that's what the government's, t the objective we're working to towards the government. The thing that we're very concerned about is that there isn't going to be the infrastructure in place to support that. Because I think at one level, you're really just changing the propulsion me method of a car or a van or a commercial vehicle, and that seems quite straightforward. But another level, it's actually quite a complex change for people. If you think back um, to, I think, last year when we had all of the fuel shortages, the disruption in people's lives when we weren't able to refuel vehicles was quite was was actually really significant. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have charging infrastructure in place, that's um, that's a really big risk. Uh, and yes, and what, one that we're very much looking to the government, not sorry to fund, but to help put the framework in place that everyone else can support to make sure that we've got the right charging infrastructure in place. Now I'm keen to talk to you both more about your supply chains and sustainability. And Kofi, what's it like at Unilever? I'd particularly love to hear about your work personally in relation to plastics, if possible. Um, Unilever is leading the way, you know, towards the clarity for all of our packaging material, but especially plastics. In January 20, 2017, we committed to ensuring that 100% of our plastics will be designed to be fully recyclable, reusable, or compostable by 2025. And to help create an end market, you know, for this material, we also committed to increase our recycling content in our packaging by 25% by 2025. Now, to further, um, we further committed to halving our dependence 
on virgin plastics um, by same year and including an absolute reduction of 100,000 tons of plastics from our supply chain. And we further went on, on to commit to, you know, help collect and recycle more plastics than we sell. Now, this is what my role is about, uh, making sure that we embed these huge and big global commitments within our local framework. And so, you know, the problem, the problem specifically around this side of the world is we lack a formalized collection and recycling infrastructure. And while Unilever cannot, you know, solve for the entire solution of collecting, we are making sure our goals and the work we are doing is acting as a catalyst for change through all of our partnerships and our brands. And so I'm the guy to make sure that these big global goals are well integrated into the local business. And we are tracking very well along our partnerships and our brands our external engagement and evaluating every opportunity that there is for recycle, there is for reuse, there is for repurposing multi-layer plastics. Huge ambitious targets um, and sometimes I'm sure it can feel overwhelming. So how is it going so far? That's spot on, Sarah. Sometimes it absolutely feels overwhelming um, because you drive through the street and you still see plastics littered all over. And sometimes, you know, you get to wonder um, how much of an impact you're having. But then when you turn to the data, you, it clearly it paints a really clear picture from where we're coming from, where we are and how much of an impact we've made. And so, so far we're tracking pretty well. We're ahead of hitting our target by 2025, as well as we're making sure we're looking out for all of the social enterprises and the aggregators and the collectors and the waste pickers who are leading the way in collecting the critical mass of plastic that we need. We look identifying some of these people and helping them scale their business. So we are pumping in a lot of funds to make sure that you know they have the necessary resource to recover as much of these plastics as we can recover and then hopefully um, have those plastics end up in an actual recycling firm and then they do not ever end up in, race, um, in landfills. And so that's about the journey so far we're making good progress on some of those some of them might be challenging but then overall we are tracking pretty well um, and i'm confident we're going to be able to um, hit all of these targets by a few years 2025 is not too far out but i suppose it's so scrutinized now and accountability is the thing and making these claims having these targets and then saying you know we've all heard about the greenwashing if you like but your data is is everything really now we have all eyes on us and we're making sure that, you know, we have actual data to back some of these claims in terms of work done, um, particularly within this region where I'm the data custodian. I can, you know, every now and then I'm able to pull some of these things to objectively um, analyse where we are and what are the gaps and what we are needing to do more of to be able to track a well on some of these goals. And what about... The culture throughout Unilever, it's, you know, you know what you have to do. That's your job role. But how do you make sure that it permeates right through the culture of every employee? We do have a lot of internal um, campaigns and internal activities that tries to draw in all of our employees along some of these goals. And so, yeah, we do have quite a huge appetite internally for people who are just either genuinely curious to find out what we're doing around all of our plastic sustainability goals, around um, employees who are also putting up their hands to say, what can I do? What little can I add up to my work plan? That will go a long way in furthering all of um, what we are doing locally alongside all of our plastic sustainability goals. So I'll say the 10 appetite is quite on the high. It's encouraging as well to see that. 
And Lisa, what about you on the sustainability journey? Where do you think you're at within uh, Ford? Because I know you also rely on thousands of suppliers to provide materials, parts and services. So there's sustainability really at the core of your business too. So it's really... it is a really challenging one for an auto manufacturer. So although we're moving to electrification, which if you drive an electric car, you get better air quality um, at, through the tailpipe, but it only really makes a difference if it's manufactured in a sustainable way using renewable energy, et cetera, et cetera. So globally, as a manufacturer, we've committed to have carbon neutral manufacturing globally by 2050. But in Europe, we set ourselves the objective of doing that by 2035. So quite an ambitious target. Can I ask um, just there, many, why why the difference? Well, I think that w- when we say globally, we operate in lots of different countries around the market, around the world. And I think the ability to make some of the changes that we need to make through some supply chain, I think hopefully we might be able to, maybe we'll meet the 2050 target, but we kind of made that statement globally. In Europe, we want to be much more ambitious. In Europe, already have... Um, 100% of our electricity is sourced from renewables already. Uh, and uh, some of that's down to the environment, but some of it's just down to your cost benefits. I, the site that I work in, we're just in the process of installing vast arrays of solar panels to help with energy generation. We've got one of our plants that generates um, builds engines and they're powered by two massive um, wind turbines. Um, We've significantly reduced water uses in our plant and we've currently got zero waste going to landfill across all of our EU manufacturing facilities. The challenge is kind of taking that and rolling it through the supply chain. And oddly enough, I think a lot of what we're doing is around data and about certification and about standards and being transparent. And I think we, we really feel that the way to deliver this is with in partnership with our suppliers so we form part we're part of katina x it's a network that's been set up to improve data sharing standards we're a founding member of the responsible supply chain initiative and actually when you think about some of the some of the raw materials that go into making batteries and the volume of that that you would use in an electric car versus a standard car, that sustainable uh, and responsible supply chain is even more important because not just it not just does it reach um, the sustainability, but it also is looking at human rights and and the way that workforces are managed and not exposure, which is equally important to us as, as we reach to that supply chain. And I'd love at this point to see if you have questions for each other. Kofi, have you a question for Lisa? So Lisa, I'm just very um, interested in understanding where Ford Motors is at um, along um, the concept of mobility as a service. I'm of the opinion that if the if the automobile manufacturer do own the physical asset of the car, then they have a lot of responsibility as to collecting, recovering that at the end of its life. And then you're doing something with that material, either recovering some essential parts or recycling some bit of that back into, into your production stream. And so really interested to understand where Ford is at in terms of mobility as a service so you can own the physical asset and then do something with it at the end of its life. So today in Europe and in the UK, we have end-of-life responsibility for vehicles already, Kofi. So 
more than 85% of vehicle parts are recycled or reused at the end of life. Now, obviously, um, we're looking to increase that. And there are lots of different exciting possibilities with batteries, not quite fully formed yet, but we can see a way forward with batteries that as it gets to the end of its usable life in a vehicle, that there are other things that it can be used for. So something that we're all without kind of just talking about mobility, we're already at an 85% um, level of parts recycling or being reused. We're not quite there yet in terms of mobility uh, and that's not really based around what we see in the UK around customer demand. There are some um, things that are in the marketplace that are essentially car sharing initiatives, but there's not a wide uptake and not a wide push pull from customers. Um, so we'll see how that develops. But yes, certainly end of life is a really big part of our sustainability story and our uh, uh, understanding around sustainability. That's a brilliant, That's brilliant question. Yeah. And just f- for my information, what's coming off the production line for you at the minute now? Is it only EV vehicles or are you still have to, to meet what the customer wants? So we're in a bit of a transition period at the minute, Sarah. So we are building both um, as we get... Over the next two or three years, we see more and more electric vehicles coming. And actually, um, probably not what you would expect, but in the UK, we are market leader in commercial vehicles. So we sell over 30% of the UK market is Ford commercial vehicles, which I'm really pleased to say. And we've begun selling electric commercial vehicles. So maybe if you get your next online shopping order delivered if you have a little look outside it might actually be an electric transit that's mm-hmm. delivering it but many businesses in the UK who've got their own sustainability stories are really keen to move to electric transportation. And Kofi what about your customers or your distributors? People want their favourite products, their favourite food, their favourite ice cream, their favourite cleaning products, their beauty products, whatever but are they wanting them because they're doing the right thing for the planet or do they want them just because they've always used them? For, for the best of my knowledge, for this side of the world, people would always pick what is most economically viable, what, what works for their pockets. And so that's where the disconnect is, right? If you talk to people, they are huge advocates for sustainable products, for sustainable businesses. But when you go to either actual purchase and behavior, then you see otherwise. That is not to say that they are not picking that product, but then we do see that a lot. Now, we also see there's a huge conversation now beginning to build externally around you know sustainable brands and particularly when you think about plastic packaging, we have quite a rich conversation, um, a rich, vibrant conversation here um, going around what plastic producers like us are doing and if that is up to what the expectation is. So, yeah, consumer, um, that's about how we're experiencing the consumer journey alongside thinking about sustainability, making the switch and the ongoing conversation around which brands are doing the best for the planet. Lisa, have you any questions for Kofi? So t- two questions. One um, from there's been a lot of coverage in the UK at the minute around plastics and around a lot of our, our retailers are talking about compostable plastic. Um, so not about recycling, but composting and recent coverage saying that, that it doesn't really work. It's such a long time to compost it effectively. It, it, it's not real. Just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Is, it, is that a route that Unilever has taken or is it just solely that you're focusing on recycling? 
the goals around making our plastic better in terms of better plastics, we're working towards recyclability, we're working towards reuse and compostability. And so that's part of one of the uh, major strategic goals we're working towards. But as to thinking strategically around do these plastics really compose, there's a whole lot of, um, there's a number of school of thought around that. And, you know, when you really think about it, does these plastics really decompose? Um, are we thinking about are they going back into carbon or are they going back into microplastics? And so we do um, try to stay away from you know all of those technicalities and make sure for one our plastics are designed in the way that they can end up back in a circular stream and not end up on a landfill. And Kofi, is is your recyclable plastic more expensive than non-recyclable plastic? Have you seen that as a cost into your business? It's not exactly straightforward. It depends on the material structure for that specific plastic. Um, because then if you want to make plastics recyclable, which is some of the work we've done here, then we move away from multi-layer to monolayer. And so then we are using much less absolute plastic volumes. And so in that sense, we do have some cost savings on there. But the on cost that comes with change parts in the factory and with all of the R&D cycles, that is also an on cost that do not always knock off the benefit from reducing the absolute volume of the plastics. It really depends on which specific plastic that we're working on and then what are some of the um, benefits that come from trying to simplify the material structure as well as the on cost we take from the actual manufacturing side. Now, creativity, innovation and problem solving are three key skills that employers have identified as being crucial to business success. So what are you both or what is your business doing to foster these qualities in your current colleagues or those who come into the business? Lisa, can I start with you on that one? Certainly over the past three or four years, we've seen the need to change and change really, really quickly. And to do that, some of the things that we've done have been on the surface that on the surface of it they appear quite simple but actually culturally have driven quite a lot of change to the, the organization so we would have been quite a structured organization you know you you write papers you write presentations you present at meetings you get signatures that's kind of how you process through this large quite bureaucratic organization um a number of years ago we stopped that Ooh. so we've um kind of taken away layers of bureaucracy and speeded up decision making and rather than having chimneyed organizations everyone affected are together and as the decisions being made you kind of get your chance to say well I don't agree with that or I think it's different and then the decisions made and we all move forward together it's a great way to have a better conversation and we tend to talk to the people who know what they're talking about rather than you be, you get rid of all the layers of management and you can have a better a better debate you've got to be able to learn to disagree or put a counterpoint of view in a way that's constructive so as an organization it's changed very much the way we work. That's just one of the small examples of what we've been doing to speed up the way that we operate as a company and to make ourselves a little bit a bit more dynamic. And actually, it's really exciting. Okay, what about you, Kofi? One of the things that we're doing currently to to 
create the platform and the space for people to bring their creative juices to solving problems is um, we put in together very specific business quads that have specific objectives and that's time bound and so these quads are individuals from different functions who in the typical way of working would never cross paths but then we put them together just so we can have some of these ideas challenge at the very early idea phase before we go into um, full-blown implementations and so within these um, teams people have real time conversation that leads to real time business decisions that then drives us towards quicker implementation taking the learnings really quickly and then iterating the process until we have a really fine-tuned solutions that goes to the consumer creating the space that encourages people to bring their ideas forth and then you know we've we mix it up, we bump into each other, refine the ideas and then take them to market is what I'm seeing really driving change and innovation, which people are excited about. People are just raising up their hands to say, can I be a part of that squad? Brilliant. And can you give us an example of anything that kind of happened as a result of this? So an example, um, when I just got transitioned into this role, we did have some crisis on power situation in one of our sites. And so then that necessitated that we quickly activate another site in another country that will supply um, the goods back to this country that can't produce because they're having power crisis. And so what we did was to quickly put together a team from marketing to R&D to engineering to say, guys, we need all of the ideas that we can have to solve for this as soon as we can because we are producing a different formulation in another site for a site that do not have power to produce. And we have to do this as soon as possible because we are running out of stock. We need to do this in parallel to market and trying to do this in parallel to supply chain. Our logistics team saying, okay, you can go ahead and do this trial. We go ahead and put in the um, the approval we need from regulatory to make this product that we won't sell on our market, but will be for the export market only. And we're able to turn this around within um, a short period of time. Whereas usually some of these change in sourcing units can take close to six to eight months, but we're able to do this well, be, well below that time. And that's some of, the, uh, some of the results we are seeing from putting together team of diverse backgrounds. It's so good just bringing problems. different heads together and, and saying, here's a problem, solve it. And when you have those Absolutely. people who can, can use their brains that way, then that's fabulous. Now, here's a question for each of you. If you had any amount of money that you needed, what's the one thing you would create or expand to generate a more sustainable future? Kofi, we'll stay with you for this one. So I think I'll set up a circularity fund um, for this side of the world. So I get to oversee the distribution of these funds to the social enterprises, to the plastic collectors, to the waste pickers, who are well entrenched into the plastic recovery ecosystem. I think they having funds go directly to them, we help them scale, and we'll be able to collect as much plastics as we can because these are the guys who are on the field actually doing the collection because we lack a formalized collection structure. So yeah, I'll put all of that money into a circularity fund and then disperse it. Love it. Lisa, what about you? Okay, so going back to what we talked about before about the need for charging infrastructure. I think that I would have a fund that focuses around micro-generation. So we would help fund um, generation people's homes, uh, communities, businesses to generate power, to help with energy security, but also to help with charging infrastructure for transport of the future. 
Love it. Okay, I have um, two final questions for each of you and I put these to all of our podcast guests. So business in the community is encouraging businesses to go faster, braver and bolder in the decisions they make for the benefit of people on the planet. So we're asking you to think about this in three ways. How is your business being fairer to your people, greener in its treatment of the planet and working together with communities? Lisa, First of all, with you, how is your business being fairer to your people, greener in the treatment of the planet and working together with communities? In terms of fairer, I think I would talk a little bit about us as a a company. We focus around diversity, equity, inclusion. So as an industry, you, you kind of at the very beginning, you asked me about, you know, unusual to see a woman in this position. So diversity has been a focus of our um employment strategies for a very long period of time. Kofi talked about the benefits you get with a diverse workforce and we've definitely seen that in our organisation. So it's a focus of our, our hiring strategies. We focus around equity, which is around how we make sure that people that join us have got the tools to enable them to compete equitably and do their job equitably across the business. So that might be something as simple as for our uh, for our mums and dads, um, flexible working hours or whatever is required to help people operate on an equitable basis. And then inclusion is the work that we do around making people feel that they belong. I think this is, quite often people forget about this, that if you hire a diverse network of people into your organisation, you really want to feel like they're part of that organisation. So we have employee resource groups. We do listening workshops for people to engage with as teams. And it's a journey of that we're on as an, as as an organisation and trying to work more actively in this space. Um, in terms of community we operate in a number of different areas around the uk and we have our ford fund that we use in those areas to help support um various community initiatives um one of the things that i've been a little bit involved with is a a charity called enactus it it works with universities uh students and one of the projects in the uk that's really interesting is um it's a a a food supply initiative in in nottingham that we've been working with to help students um deliver low-cost food into some of the areas that, that are suffering with food poverty in the Nottingham area. So there are a number of different initiatives that we operate in the areas that we work and then also through the Ford Fund, which is through the, the remainder of the UK. You covered everything beautifully there, Lisa. Uh, Kofi, same to you. You've probably covered the greener, but let's talk a bit about being fairer to your people and working together with communities. Right, so we have um, the Unilever Compass, which is really our strategy to embed sustainability in every part of our business and bring others along, you know. And it's driven by really three big ambitious um, goals around improving the health of our planet, improving the health of people, and as well as contributing to a fairer, more socially inclusive world. So when it comes to these three big um, ambitions around improving the health of the planet, improving people's health, confidence and well-being, as well as contributing to a more social um, and more inclusive world. For Specifically for employees, we have a number of initiatives that is running, um, and I think our 
probably talk a little bit on the future of work. And so we're making sure that you know, we are pioneering new modules um, to provide our employees with flexible working opportunities, which we um, we piloted that in, I think, our New Zealand office. We piloted the four-week working day, um, which, you know, we're reviewing the, the outcome of that and potentially that maybe gets rolled out to the rest of um, the world sometime in the future. And we are also working towards reskilling and upskilling our employees with future fit skills. Um, so, you know, our employees are, are, are being skilled alongside how much of work is changing within the context of the 21st century workplace. This, you know, sets the tone for what we are thinking about in terms of the future, making sure our employees are reskilled and upskilled so they are ready to take in a lever into the future from how much we are seeing the workforce changing in these times that we are in. And just to mention also on our, on the greener world, we do have improved the planet strategy supported by a 1 billion climate and nature fund, which we are going to invest into uh, climate and nature initiatives, which is currently ongoing. Thank you so much for being guests on The Lens today. Lisa Branken, Managing Director of Ford in Britain and Ireland, and Kofi Jemfi, Strategic Sourcing Analyst for West Africa for Unilever. We've been talking about supply chain, sustainability, visions for the future, targets, and how we're making a difference to the people, uh, the place, and the planet that we live in. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. If your business would like help to become more responsible and ensure your workplaces are fairer, you enhance the planet by becoming greener, and you work together with others, then please do get in touch at www.bitc.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my guests. And tune in next time.